You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. You guys know, um, how many of you guys know what this is right here? You guys, know, you guys know what this is? Let me just get a, before we get going here, I just need to know my audience. Public speeding. Do you guys, you guys know what this is? Let me, let me show you what this is. Do you guys know, do you see that? How many of you guys have feelings right now just about what this even is? This is a, this is a 2000 edition, 2001 edition. It says spring break, kizzy busy style. Kizzy busy being Kyra, who's downstairs. And that's my face. Both of them are actually on an Abercrombie and Fitch body. Take notes. If you want to thrive and succeed trying to help you. First, first song on this, on this album right here, Motorcycle Drive-By by Third Eye Blind. That's what you call a deep cut. Deep cuts don't exist on Spotify anymore. They put those things on the top shelf. Deep cut is what you had to listen to for like five hours to really realize, you know, that's what this, this album is all about. It has all things like Dave Matthews Band on there. It has Counting Crows on there. It's just got a bunch of stuff that y'all don't know nothing about. The elders know about, right? How many of you guys know what this is? That's a mini. Got this thing for my wedding present. From Ashley Knight, Andrew Cornetta, they threw down. Like the college kids, they don't have a lot of money, but if they get an idea and one of those kids gets an idea, they just run with it. And so we got two of these. We got a silver and a green. In my 20-minute Starbucks break, I just busted that thing out and made sure that I was listening to this the whole entire 20 minutes. Bright Eyes. Uh, I was listening to David Gray on this thing. I was listening to uh, Ryan Adams on this thing. I mean, it was those little, those little ear pods. And then this kid, Tim Stratton, came to me and just burst my bubbles in youth group one time. And he was like, hey, bro, I just want to tell you something about your iPhone. This thing called Spotify. You can just like listen to music and just like listen to it whenever you want. I'm like, Spotify? It's like there's no deep cuts on Spotify. The Beatles aren't on there. Dave Matthews is not. It's like, what are we even talking about? Spotify. And then they were like, and if you pay $10 a month, you won't have to listen to ads on Spotify. And I'm just like, man, how like just lazy and just like entitled are we that we just like have to pay $10 a month just so we don't have to pay for ads? How many of you guys by raising hands are paying $10 a month so they can listen to Spotify without ads? You know what I'm saying? Like they got you, you know? Uh the reason why entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs, the reason why Jeff Bezos has money, the reason why Steve Jobs has money is he could see the future in the middle of the present. We can all see the future in retrospect of the present, right? But in the middle of the present, like what you see limits your ability to see what's for the future. Like I was, whenever iPods were coming out, still trying to get a smaller and smaller CD. I'm like, you're never going to believe this. There's mini CDs now. I don't have to deal with these big bulky CDs. What do you have, a record player for that thing? I have a mini CD. And the format, like, improved, but there's a point when evolution becomes revolution, all of a sudden the old things becomes a new thing. That's a different category from improvement to new, from, from, from just getting better to going from old to new, right? And, and even so, like, like there's, a, there's an essence of even, like I was talking about with the Spotify process of going from an iPod into, into Spotify where I'm not only not seeing the future, I'm, like, resisting it. Because I'm so used to the present 
Like I'm blind, I'm blind to the future. And, and so, so Paul, you know, he's been going on this thing about the gospel, and chapters 1 through 4 is this set-apart segment that's about gospel salvation. Like how does, somebody, how does somebody get restored to Jesus? How does somebody get justified? And the, and the answer he's talking about by faith, just by trust, just by faith. Not by works, but by, but by faith. And, and we turn this corner into Romans chapter 5, and, and he gets going talking about not just the gospel for salvation, but for the gospel for change. How somebody changes. How somebody changes from the inside out, not from white knuckling, but from, from grace. And he has this crazy, ludicrous, just kind of unbelievable theory about you and I and what's true of us in the gospel. And that is um, that when we got taken out of Adam and we got put into Christ, we didn't just get better, we got made new. I don't know if you have thought about that or heard that before, but like what Paul is claiming about you and I is like if there's any faith in us to cry out and to count Jesus as our righteousness, then what's come inside of us is not a better version of us. It's a new human. It's not a 1.5, it's a 2.0. It's not a beta. It's a brand new model. And, and, so, and so we've talked about this in terms of, uh, of the gospel, in terms of, of what it means to be in Christ, but this is the old Bible Project picture. It's a great picture, and I just want to review it because for those that weren't here, but like when, when we trust Jesus for our salvation, we didn't just trade our lives with him. We joined into his life. So I brought up the idea of like the group project, the smart kid in the group project does all the work. It's so annoying. As a teacher, you're annoyed. As a student, you're annoyed. As a smart kid, you're annoyed. As a dumb kid, it's really great. But other than that, <laughs> you get the grade of the smart kid. He goes to represent you. If you're in the Olympics, all of us could be just, just sloppy and not athletic at all. We have one figure skater. We send that chick out, and she slays, and we get all of the benefits, right? That's, this is Christ, right? Uh, you're married. Get the picture back up there for me, Ross. You're married. One person has bad credit. The other person has good credit. Guess what? Y'all got some good credit. You got married, you got, you married well. And in Christ, we married great. We married well. We married up. And so what happens is, like, we don't just switch places. We join his life. We get his family for better or worse. We get his persecution for better or worse. We get his power. We get his suffering. It's all or none. or in or out. And we are in Christ. We don't, just give in, we don't just get righteousness from Christ. We get righteousness in Christ. We join into that ark. And from that point on, he carries us from life to death to grave, in and out of the waters of baptism, to die in a death like his, to be raised in a new life like his. How many of you guys are glad for the gospel? We don't drive the bus. You're not driving the bus. You're driving the bus. He's a good driver. You don't get the turn signal. You've got to try the music. You don't get to change the atmosphere. You don't get to decide where you're going. But you're on the bus. He's going to take you into victory. Done. And you, the minute you got taken out of Adam, got put into Christ, and everything changed about you. Everything is new about who you are. No matter how you feel, no matter how to act, no matter how people treat you, the truest thing about you is what's true of Jesus is now true of you. The cross says that you were treated like him because he was treated like you, but also what's true of him is true of you. And now you have the nature, the identity, and the stature of Christ, simply by grace. That's what's true of you. 
And so I, I was hearing about this sweet hero type person, lady, like same as, same as the crafts over there, you know, like just doing the, the good work out on the frontiers, just like you, just like me. And so her name was Crystal Jones, and she was a, a first grade teacher in Atlanta uh, through Teach for America. Y'all know what Teach for America is? And so it's just kind of like, it's almost like military teaching. You know, they just drop you off into the outpost and just, good luck, figure it out, you know. And so uh, she had a bunch of first graders that, some of you guys have teachers or been teaching, you know what this is like, who aren't, te- aren't first graders. Like front door, they come in there and they're supposed to be first grade, but they're not in first grade, right? And so, I mean, she had some kids that could do sight words, you know, ball and wall and all that kind of stuff. But some kids, like, pick up the pencil and the eraser's facing down. Like, they, they don't know how to pick up a pencil. They pick up a, a book and the title's upside down. Like, things you take for granted are, like, coming into the front door, right? And so this is where this teacher is. And so she noticed something about these, these kids. It's like, no matter what kid you have or where they're from, they always want to be older than they are. They're out there on the playground and they're like, but those third graders know what they're doing. Like, I'm trying to be a third grader. And so she had this thing where she just, she had this rule, this culture where they would come in and she would just say, the minute you step through that door, you got on the bus to become a third grader. From here on out, you are going to be a third grader. And the way that we act and the way that we talk and the way we think is all around this message. Like we are becoming third graders. You will not not become a third grader in this classroom. And the way that we talk to each other is scholar. Like it'd be like scholar Matt or scholar Oliver. Like it literally was down to the identity thing. And how many of you guys would guess that in six months, right, all of those scores were all the way up to first grade, if not beyond? Because who you are trumps what you do every time. And so the gospel is not just the power to save, it's also the power to change. And so when you read any book in the Bible, let alone Romans, like what he's after for the first 12 chapters of this book, when you think about ratios and proportions, is not talking one stroke of the pen about what you should be doing and everything about who you are. Then from 12 to 16, by a ratio of what, 2 to 1, he's going to talk about what to do about that. But for the most part, what the gospel comes to tell us about is not necessarily what to do, but who you are, who you are in Christ. Because if you don't know who you are, there's a whole lot of people that want to tell you who you are. And they're not Christ. And they don't have your best interest in mind, and they're not driving the bus, and they're not driving you to the good spot, right? And so salvation and sanctification is about who before it is ever about do. And the good news about you is that if you, if you have trusted Christ for salvation, you can do that right now under your breath, just by prayer, just by faith. That's, that's all that it is. I'm going to put the band up here and have an altar call. You can do it right now. And if you're in Christ, okay, not only was Christ treated as you so you can be treated like him after you die, but also what is true of him is now true of you. You're a 2.0 human. No matter how you act or how you feel, you are not the amalgamation of your temptations and sins. You will profile yourself that way, and the police department surely will look at you that way, but that's not what's true of you. You could be singing one word of faith on Sunday and living like hell the rest of the week, and the truer thing about you is the word that came on Sunday rather than the other six days of the week, because what's true of Christ is true of you, and so therefore you are not who you think you are, you're who he says you are. If you are in Christ, you're a new creation, the old is gone, and the new has come. So here is um, our passage from today, Romans 5, starting in verse 12. Therefore, as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But Paul says, you know, sin is not charged against anybody's account where there is no law. 
We didn't know what to call sin before Moses came, before the Ten Commandments. But even without the rules, he said in Romans 1, we kind of have this natural order about ourselves, even in countries that don't have the Ten Commandments within their vernacular, still sort of know what's right and wrong. And so nevertheless, if you had the law or if you didn't have the law, everybody was born in Adam, and, and death reigns in sin. Like it doesn't just befriend you or tempt you or become your mistress. It masters you. It's your ruler. This is, what, this is the dire nature, I guess, of, of what life is like outside of Christ. So nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking the command, as did Adam, who is the pattern of, of the one to come. So there's lots of really funny Adam and Eve jokes. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, you know? Like, we're going to get to heaven one day, and Adam and Eve are just going to have a big poster that says, I'm sorry, like, I just, just the, it's just the, 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 the possibility of, like, opening a can of worms that bad that you took one piece of apple pie, you know, and now everybody has just cancer and oppression, you know? It's like, just, I mean, you got to laugh about it if you're not crying, you know? So I got a couple of uh, little cartoons for us to think about this morning, you know, Adam, on his tombstone, at least my wife could not complain. I never listened to her. Eve says, I married what used to be a perfect man. So there's lots of good jokes. Uh, I got another one for you here. Uh, well, that was easy. Family tree, just Adam and Eve. It's pretty funny. Just kind of like it's a great little comedic riff. Eve, you're the only one for me. His first attempt to be romantic, Adam merely states the obvious. There you go. There's just a lot of, there's a lot of leverage there. There's a lot of good, good, good content uh, with the Adam and Eve story. You'd have to laugh if you didn't cry. Even if it's not fair, it's true. People aren't born sinning, they're born sinners. And we sin because we're sinners, we're not sinners because we sin. Like, it's not fair that if a person gets born to a woman addicted to crack, that the baby's born addicted to crack. But it's true. It's true. So we're born right out of the gate with the oxygen of sin and the circulation of sin running through our veins. And we don't have to imagine what it would have been like to be in the Garden of Eden and postulate on what Adam and Eve was doing at that time and what was going through their mind because our dads were born in Adam. We don't have to wonder what Adam was like. We grew up with Adams. Our brothers were Adams. Our sons that we're having right now, the kids that are downstairs that we gave birth to, none of them were born in Christ. All of them born in Adam. All of them born with the oxygen of sin around them and the circulation of pride and sin within them. No one's excluded. All, all have fallen, and no one is immune to sin. Our moms were Eves. Our sisters were Eves. Our daughters were daughters of Eves before they were ever daughters of Christ. And so we are helpless and trapped in sin uh, when we're born. And so I, I just imagine, just in terms of pastoral application, like, hey, listen, like, your first encounter with a sexual image, was that an image that was portrayed in Christ? Because if it wasn't in Christ, it wasn't, Adam. it wasn't Adam. And all sin before and after the law was reigning in sin and then resulting in death. Like, just ask me that question. Like, was it a picture of Jesus laying down his life for the bride or something on MTV? That can't not matter, right? Your first image of money. You got your first job, you worked at Subway. Like, was it the picture of the way that Christ portrays money, Caesar to Caesar, Lord to the Lord, like of sacrifice, of abundance, of, of surplus, of generosity, or was it of scarcity? Was it a hard work ethic? Like, don't take that for granted. You weren't born in Christ. You were born in Adam. Your first instance of, of relationship, you know, um, with your spouse, for example, or, or the opposite sex, like, was it of self-sacrifice and serving, or was it, was it about 
me and mine and, and, and what, what I need? Was it about a husband laying their life down for the wife or, you know, boys will be boys, an old ball and chain out there. I try to keep her happy so that, you know, so that things don't wrestle. The, like, you can't, can't take it for granted, like, the, the oxygen that, that took place when you, the first time you got on a boat with your uncle, the first time you went on a road trip with a youth pastor, the first time that you hung out and stayed up until two in the morning, the types of conversations, like, if they weren't in Christ, they were in Adam. And everything that was influenced by Adam is reigning in sin, and everything that is reigning in sin results in death. It's an invincible. It's, 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 there's no exceptions to this rule. And so this is what's important about this to me, just as a sidebar moving on to the passage. But, like, I believe in the power of prayer and the casting out of evil things. Like, I could believe that through prayer, just in one moment in a worship set, like, you could be set free from temptation. I think I, you, you just cannot underestimate the power of prayer. You could be set free from demonic activity. I've seen people get set free of demons. I believe they exist. I believe they still exist. I believe that they, we don't give them enough credit. And if we do, we, as C.S. Lewis says, we give them too much power and authority over our lives. And I believe that it's just through the name of Jesus that a demon could get cast out of a person just by the name of Jesus, no effort. But the scripture does not teach. You can, you can cast out a sin. You can, cast out, you can cast out a sickness. You can cast out temptation. But you don't cast out sin. You, you crucify sin. And so the deal is, Jesus didn't say, go therefore and pray for our disciples. He says, teach all disciples. Like, you have to know the difference between what you can cast out and what needs to be counseled out. So you get Corinthians, right? Corinthians is a Christian church, and they're walking in the Spirit. They're speaking in tongues. They're saved. They're taking up tithes and offerings. They're giving gifts. But they're sleeping with their mother-in-law. Kind of weird, right? Like, I know we don't do this anymore, but they have these little popularity contents about which preachers they listen to and why that preacher's no good and this preacher's good, because we don't do that anymore. But, like, you wouldn't believe the stuff they did back then, right? They had platforms, political platforms for preachers back then. We're way more evolved, you know? They're talking about the rich people getting drunk on communion wine. Are they saved? Oh, yeah. Are they going to heaven when they die? Yeah. Did you drive the bus? Mm-hmm. Were they raised in Adam? Yeah. You can be adopted in Christ, but you were raised by Adam. You were raised in Adam's influence. You were raised with Adam's carrots and sticks. You were raised by Adam's vocabulary and linguistics. You were raised by Adam's social categories. And the problem is that if you evangelize without teaching, you can get Adam to come into the church and put a Jesus name tag on him. It's called Jesus, but it still runs like Adam. The way we promote people, the way we hire and fire, the way we do leadership around here is called Jesus, but works like Adam. One of the most dangerous things. Did you guys know one of the greatest revivals that ever happened in East Africa in the 1930s happened in, Rwa in Rwanda. 50 years before the Rwandan genocide, 800,000 Hutus and Tutsis were killed at the edge of a sword. So the power of the gospel is to reach, but it's also to teach. And what can be cast out needs to get cast out. But listen, the way that we get through sin is crucifixion, not casting. Through the constant teaching and deliberate, if you're going to biblical counseling, let me just put the emphasis on biblical here. Did I walk out of this office with tips and tricks or truth? Did I walk out with patterns or an identity? I want to see not just the chapter and verse. I want to see the chapter itself. And I want to know who I am in Christ so I can know what to do as I live. So he goes on, and he shifts out of the Adam stuff, and he talks about the Christ stuff. He says, listen, the gift, it's not like the trespass. Uh, for, you know, many people died just because of the trespass of one man. Like, it's, it's a travesty. It's so sad. It's heartbreaking. But listen, don't, don't have a broken heart about this or, or a broken spirit because how much more 
This is what he says. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace from the other one man, from Jesus Christ, how much more will that overflow to the many? The gift is greater than trespass, he says. Verse 16, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Adam brought condemnation. Jesus brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, of the gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Let me ask you a question. In that passage, how does Paul prove that the gift is greater than the trespass? Because at face value to me, it just looks like yin and yang. It just looks equal and opposite. Like, there was one bad guy who did one bad thing, and it caused many bad things for many people. And then there's a contrast juxtaposition. You swing over here, and there's another good guy, and he was so good that he caused one good thing to multiply into many good things. So it seems like an equal and opposite, but that's not what the passage, the opening and closing of the paragraph is, is having you to look for. It's greater than. So, so where is that, right? So here it is. I'm going to read it for you, see if you can catch it. Verse 17. He says, listen, grace is better than the trespass. The gift is greater than the trespass. How's that? Here it is, verse 17. For if... By the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. Catch the parallel here. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, of the gift of righteousness, reign in that one man, Jesus Christ? Who is reigning in Adam? Sin. Sin reigns in Adam. From the time of Adam to Moses and Moses to now, sin reigns that causes death and condemnation for all people under the reign of Adam. Under Adam's government, the old humanity is this, that sin reigns, but if you look at verse 17, it's not the equal opposite of grace reigning or righteousness reigning. Look what it says. Those who receive God's grace is reigning, meaning in Adam, sin reigns, but in Christ, you reign. That the grace is greater than the trespass because the trespass can create slaves, but the grace creates sons. That the object of sin is to make you do what sin wants you to do, but the object, the goal of Christ, is to make you want what he wants. This is how Jesus says at the end of his life to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, because a servant just does what he's told. But a friend knows the master's business and wants what God wants. That's how grace is greater than the trespass. So here's a great, great quote by C.S. Lewis. Uh, I'll read it to you from the screen. Uh, C.S. Lewis, it's a screw tape letters. Always have to give a good setup for this because screw tape letters is like a allegory of a senior demon writing to a junior demon to equip him to uh, to uh, undermine the enemy in this case, which is God, to go and win souls to hell rather than win souls to heaven. So this is do some opposite work here. But anyways, C.S. Lewis, one demon to another demon, allegory. One must face, says this demon. The fact that all this talk about his love for men and his service being perfect freedom, it's not, as one would gladly believe, just rhetoric. Like, he means it. <laughs> freedom and love. Like, he actually believes it. It's not just, like, stuff you put on posters to win campaigns. Like, he actually believes it. It's not just propaganda. But it, it's an appalling truth. And so, you know, he really does want to fill the universe with these loathsome little replicas of himself, 
Creatures whose life on its miniature scale will be qualitatively like his own. Not just in name, but in nature. The nature, not just the name tag. Replicas of themselves. Creatures whose life is miniature scale will be qualitative like his own, not because he's absorbed them, but because their wills freely conform to his. They don't just do what he wants, they want what he wants. They're friends, not servants. We want cattle to finally be our food. He wants servants who can finally become sons. We want to suck in. He wants to give out this confounding principle, he says. We are empty and would want to be filled, and he is full and he overflows. Our aim is in the world uh, in which our Father below has drawn all things into himself. The enemy wants a world full of beings united to him, but still distinct. And so the gift is greater than the trespass because the gift actually creates sonship. I've been married to my dear wife, Kyra, for 17 years. It worked out, guys. I'm just saying. That's how you get, that's how you get started, y'all. Single people out there, right? Go back. Um, it's amazing how much love can change what the law can't. My philosophy at 28, or 38, <laughs> my philosophy at 38 on movies is way different. I mean, I've been a Christian since I've been 16 years old. But there's a point when you're watching like Goodfellas by yourself because your wife doesn't watch it with you, that you really start asking yourself some questions. Like my parents were telling me not to do it and my youth pastor would have told me not to do it, but like when the woman that you love is in the next room and she questions the integrity of the thing that you're watching, it just hits different. It doesn't just change what you do, it changes what you want. Because now your desire is tied into her desire. I'll never look at a jar of mayonnaise again ever the same. I got on a Weight Watchers one time and tried to save money, and I, for like eight weeks I was in the woman's program. Somebody said I looked like Tom Hanks in Philadelphia. They were like, you don't look good skinny at all. You look like there's a problem. And there's points that are worth it, and mayonnaise is not worth it. So there you go. Like, this is how we, this is how we get discipled, you know? Coca-Cola Classic, I mean, I'm not sure it's any better than heroin. Like, it's, Coca-Cola Classic is not good for you, you know? Get married, you know, to somebody that cares, and you'll figure that out. There's something about love, other than the law, that doesn't just change what you do, it changes what you want. It's like being married to the Spirit. And the language goes from law and punishment to quenching and thirsting, or quenching and grieving. Because your wife can guide you with her eyes. Like, you know when she's not happy. And what makes her happy is going to matter a whole lot more than what you want to do. And so the language of the New Testament, even though it does say command, it's, it's, it's envisioned like a walk. Walk in the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. It doesn't mean just do whatever you want. It means be betrothed. It means be connected. It means being guided by the eyes. It's allowing for the soft, gentle hand of love to correct you rather than the harsh condemnation of punishment make you to fear it. And that is the difference between the gift and the trespass because the gift or the trespass can rule over you as a slave owner and a master, but the spirit can come in and be in love with you and change you from the inside out. And so, th so this is literally what he's saying because we're going to get into this in Romans chapter 7, but like he doubles down on this thing. You can hear, you know, the pig swerving, you know, Sunday, Sunday Sabbath touting, uh, circumcised Jewish people that are like, dude, a law, uh, you know, a humanity without law is chaos. You can hear him get into that and he doubles down. And when you get into Romans 7, he doesn't just start peeling out rules. He talks about reasons because he believes that the spirit can actually do 
in us what the law can't do on top of us. And we're set free not only from sin, but from the law itself. And so the Spirit from the inside out tells us the future of this world in the humanity of Christ is not based on law, but it is based on love. That love is the fulfillment of the law, and against, the, against love, there is no law. He actually believes in a lawless humanity. He actually believes that a lawless humanity with the spirit inside of it can produce more fruit and more children and more sons and more righteousness than any law could ever do. But that's for next time. All right, so the last passage closes in, in Romans verse 18, uh, or 15 rather, no, it's 18. It says, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one uh, righteous act results in justification and life for all people. For just as um, through the disobedience of one man, the many were made righteous, so also through the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. Did you see, um, English teachers, the tenses of the verbs in this? It's really pretty implicating. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, also one righteous act resulted. Is that, was that, is that future or what? Is that past tense? I was doing it in Spanish, I don't know how. <laughs> they do that in Spanish, like the ED is usually, you know, past tense for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, maybe one day we'll get to heaven and we'll be righteous. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says many were made righteous in here, right now. Monday through Saturday, y'all were partying and up, clubbing and up. But somebody asked God where they can find righteousness on the earth, and he pointed to you. You are, not will be, the righteousness of Christ. So here's something that I don't want you to say to your wife, you know, when you get in trouble, you go home. She can quote Paul in uh, Romans chapter 7, just around the corner here. Uh, I'll have to look out the screen because I, I don't have it in my, my notes here, Paul, um, Ross, but pay attention to this. For, for I know the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good. Anybody here have the desire, but sometimes not the, the power, sometimes, or the endurance to, to work it out? I can't carry it out, he says. This is a problem that Paul's dealing with after Christ. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, it keeps doing it. Uh, now, if I do what I do not want to do, don't say this to your wife. It's no longer I that leave the sock on the floor right? It's sin inside of me. <laughs> Things not to say, right? But theologically accurate, <clears throat> theologically accurate, are you the sin of Adam or are you the righteousness of Christ? You are not your sin. You are living in an earth suit that has magnets pulling it towards the sway of this world, but that's not who you are. If you sang one faithful, gospel-centric, Holy Spirit-empowered, righteous infused word of prophecy in this place today, that is more true of you than anything else you've ever done in your life. Because what's true of Jesus is true of you, and you are, not will be, the righteousness of Christ in Christ Jesus. Your inner man, although the outer man is dying away and being crucified daily, you are being raised with Christ in a life like his, and there's nothing that is or like Jesus that is not now and like you. The gospel is not about where to go to heaven when you die fundamentally and primarily. Fundamentally and primarily, it is about who you are right now forever that you have the status of Christ, the stature of Christ, the image of Christ, the identity of Christ, the family of Christ, because you're on the bus. And if you're on the bus, there's no getting off the bus. And nothing that you're doing or feeling or attracted to or the sins that you, you, you inhabit or the temptations you have, none of those things define you because it's not what you think about yourself that makes, 
that's true about you. It's what God says about you that's true about you. So here's the dilemma. Here's the dilemma. And we're going to close it up right after this. But here's the dilemma. We live right now in a scenario where some of our feelings are right, but some of them are wrong. Like, I wish we could live in a scenario where even all of our feelings are wrong. At least I would know not to trust the compass. But that's not true. Because I got some of my feelings in me that are from Christ. And last time I read in the scriptures, like, Christians are not um, stoics. You read, open the Bible and see if you can't find words like cry and dance and rejoice and mourn and be alive in Christ and have abundant life. Like, you did not come into Christ to check your feelings at the door. Like, your feelings are a part of your righteousness. But not all of them. Some of your feelings lie. Some of your feelings are not righteous. So here's the thing. Like, you get into this, like, polarizing thing, and, man, I just even buck up the older I get. When somebody gets up and says, hey, I have a prophetic word, and they say, I just feel like that makes me so nervous. I just feel like God's releasing dreams. Well, that feels good. I watched Disney and grew up on Disney, too. I want my dream coming true. Not if your dream's an idol. He doesn't want that dream coming true. He's got something better for you than that. I just feel freedoms in the room. I just feel like there's freedom. Not if you're struggling with alcoholism, you need accountability. And somebody goes, oh man, wow, that's true. And then the whole thing, you can't tell the difference between consensus and prophecy because everybody's like, oh, wow, wow, wow. I need a chapter and verse on that thing. The way you test the spirits is ask the two questions. One, is Christ Lord in this? You already know the prophecy. The chief prophecy of all prophecies is Christ is Lord. And every other lower, key pro- lower, K, lower P prophecy needs to answer to that proposition. Jesus is Lord. That's how you test the spirits. And then the second thing you got to test is not only the faithfulness to the Bible, but the fruitfulness of it. If you've got somebody up here and their tax records and their income statements and the way that their wife would talk about them does not have the fruits of the spirit in them, I don't care what they're saying. It's not prophecy. Jesus said you test the prophets by the fruit. And so the question about whether or not our feelings are telling us the truth or not is whether or not they agree with Jesus. And so you want to watch a six-month or a 12-month track record of the faithfulness of God, right, in the scriptures, and then the fruitfulness of what it's producing in your life. Is it making that husband or wife more Christ-like? Then it's prophecy. And if it's not, it ain't. It's not prophecy. So we live in that tension where it's like we have feelings, but only the feelings that agree with Jesus are the right ones. So here's what's true about you and true about me is that I was raised in Indiana. I was born in Hong Kong. Lived there for two years. I did zero to 10 in New York and Albany. Beautiful time in my life. Great friends. God was talking to me even before I was a Christian. Grandma was praying for me. Jesus was part of the sovereign plan. You know, I was born in Adam and Jesus was pursuing me. I moved to uh, Indiana. Met Kyra, flirt to convert. Got baptized right after uh, 9-11. Lost some friends. Lost some things that I really liked about my life and followed Jesus and just trusted him all the way to South Carolina. Now I'm a preacher, blah, 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 blah. Like, I'm in Christ, but from then until now, law or no law withstanding, I was raised in Adam. I was drinking in the O2, the culture around me, since the day I was born. And so I'm in Christ, but I was raised in Adam, but lucky for me and lucky for you, I'm on the bus. And you're on the bus too. And the Spirit of God is, is giving you real prophecy today, and that is, if it's true of Jesus, it's true of you. And it doesn't depend on your grit. It all depends on his grace. And he's moving you like a conveyor belt in the airport from this glory to the next, preparing you for royalty. And you are in good hands. That the Christ is in you that is greater than the world around you 
And it's not your feelings and what you do and what people say about you or what you think about you or what cultural category you were put in. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. And that is the most truest thing that you could think about yourself when you wake up in the morning. So the most important thing about sanctification and gospel change is not measuring about what you do. It is understanding who you are in Christ. That's the most important thing. If you get the do before the who, you get religion. Anytime you go and try and do something to go become the kind of person that you think you ought to be, you just signed up to be a Pharisee. That's how Pharisees get made. If you want to be in Christ, a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, then you start with the who. It takes longer. It's going to be a boring Bible reading from the beginning of Ephesians 1 to 3, and you don't exactly know what all the terms mean, but it's in the beginning for a reason, because the who always comes before the do. It doesn't mean that you don't change the way that you act and look and do things. It just means that you start with the who and move to the do, because religion is do before who, but gospel is who before do. I'm just going to close with, uh, with the reading, and let's just meditate on this as the band comes forward and the prayer, team hits, prayer teams come to the corners for just time, times of prayer. Um, can I tell you a couple things that are true about you that you maybe, maybe didn't hear from Adam, that you'd hear from Christ this morning and through the Spirit would know this is what's true about you, that you are the righteousness of God. How would that affect um, like the way you would behave when no one else is around? Like, if you didn't just start with the do of, like, the things that you want to do and your goals and, like, you started from your projections and your how to be successful. Like, you started with just the who. And you just started, like, I'm the righteousness of Christ. I'm blood-bought. I have the Spirit of God in me that is actually making me an unsuccessful sinner. It's going to make sin harder on me because he's not good if he's not kind of casting out my idols. Like, if I'm the righteousness of Christ, that implies on my Monday. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit, the priest, the sacrifice, the temple. Jesus is greater than all those things, and he lives in you, and you become a temple of the living God. You are consecrated and set apart. That his thoughts are your thoughts, and his, his mind becomes your mind increasingly through the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that the people in this room, we've been reconciled in such a dramatic, counter-divorce way that everything is about reconciliation with others that we can never count apathy of it's on them to come towards me to replace our call to move towards people in one way or another, to be reconcilers. How would that affect your week? That you are, I am the salt and light of Greenville. It's never popular to stand for the truth. It's never popular to do compassion and conviction at the same time, but that's who we are. That's what God has made you for, informed you for. You are a king and a priest. You are a royal priesthood. That Exodus promise is coming true in this place because when people are far from God and getting arrested in a squad car, you're there to bring them the good news of the gospel that what's, that's what lost can become found again because you are a priesthood. You are a mediator there and an intercessor for the hurting and the lost. You are more than a conqueror. There is literally nothing that's going to come in your path that can knock you down, down that's more buoyant than the Holy Spirit to lift you back up again. So you fear nothing because you have victory from the only voice that matters. You are crucified with Christ, and you no longer live, but Christ himself lives in you. And so you are made of this, like that demon shudder of the kind of life and love and freedom and self-sacrifice that endlessly permeates into your soul. Like it's what you're made of. You're made of the substance of freedom and sonship. You're crucified with Christ, and so no longer Oliver lives, but Christ lives in Oliver. You, according to Christ, are going to do greater things than Christ himself. He was eager to leave this place. The Spirit could indwell his people to do what he's empowered and sent the Spirit to do on our behalf. Miracles are happening. 
Graves are being opened. Eyes are being opened. Hope is filling this place again because of the greater things that permeate this place of the Spirit. I'm a partaker of the divine nature. You don't have to think like Adam. I mean, you can think with selfish intent and us and them modalities and victim mentality. You can think that way if you want to, but that's not the way that Christ thinks. And that's not who you really are. You are a child of God. Not only adopted in Christ, but being raised in Christ. Not only to be cast out of evil, but also be counseled up in the ways of Jesus, that you might be a son and a daughter, not just a slave. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.